Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through. Keeping their delicate skin healthy and happy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick and goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable. When my oldest was little, she would get the worst diaper rash. It left me feeling so desperate to help her while also wanting something gentle on her skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor. When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, she let nothing get in her way. You can use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel confident that you are making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra-premium formula for moms that won't settle when it comes to their little ones. Soothe and restore with active ingredients being dimethicone and petrolatum. You can find more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com or find it on Amazon or Walmart.com. You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, and today we have episode 33 from Jenna Mullen. We are so excited for her. Of course, as usual, you guys, we can never not be excited, but we are going to be talking a little bit about breach delivery as well, so stay tuned in the end for the fact. But before we do, we wanted to read the review of the week. Yes, the review of the week. I'm so excited because this is the first review that we're going to be sharing from somebody that's taken our VBAC preparation course. And did you know that we offer a VBAC prep course? We have in-person for those local to Utah and online for those not in Utah. For information there, the vbaclink.com slash vbac dash class. If that's confusing, just go to the vbacklink.com. It'll take you right there. But <laughs> our friend Rachel came to our in-person class, and this is what she has to say about that. She says, Megan and Julie taught an amazing VBAC class that makes me feel so much more prepared for my upcoming VBAC with Megan as my doula. I am beyond grateful that I found Megan and was able to attend her class. And guys, if you didn't already know, Megan's amazing, but also Rachel's amazing, and we love your reviews, so keep them coming. If you have a second right now, pull up Facebook while you're listening to this podcast, find our page, the VBAC link, and and give us five stars and tell us how you like the podcast. We cannot wait for Rachel's birth. I'm so excited. She's totally going to nail her her VBAC. She's done so much prep and work. So hopefully you guys will be hearing her on the episodes coming up soon. But before we get into this episode, I just wanted to play a little game with Julie. She does not know. (laughs) I'm so nervous. (laughs) I know. I told her, I was like, hey, we're going to play a little game. And she's like, what? So I'm going to play a little game with her. Um, I'm just going to call it Guess It. I don't know, you know, if it really is a good name for this game, but I want to know what she thinks is the correct answer. So, Julie, are you ready? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like it's a little nerve-wracking because yeah, such a it's like putting me on the spot. <laughs> well, 
when I was thinking of a question to ask for you, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, she knows everything. Like, Julie knows everything. How am I going to find something that she doesn't know? And especially this one because it's a stat question and a percentage question, and you're all about those numbers. So, you know it. Okay. So, in 2002, the rate of cesarean deliveries for a woman in labor with breech presentation was what? We have A, 56.7%. B, 22.8%, or C, 86.9%. And don't cheat. Don't look on your phone right now. What do you think? I'm not a, cheating. A, B, or C. So <laughs> the question was how many women in 2002 that had a breech baby had a C-section? The rate of cesarean deliveries for women in labor with a breech presentation. Yeah, in 2002, what was the, what was the rate? So I'm super confident in this answer that it would have to be 89%. Like, have to be. 86.9. That's what I It is. It is. It is 86.9%. So, holy cow. (laughs) And we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about breach later in the episode. And we've got our blog today on all of this study that I just talked about and really what's happening in the birth world when it comes to bridge babies. So. You know what? And so much more has changed since 2002. I bet it would be even higher now. I'm going to find the stat for what it was the most recent year, and we're going to put that information on our blog. So check it out. Thebeebacklink.com slash blog. Slash blog. All right. Well, before we take up any more time, let's turn it over to our amazing guest, Jenna. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. It is Wednesday, and today Julie and I have our friend Jenna. She found us on Instagram and started listening to our podcast as she was prepping for her VBAC. She is from New Brunswick, Canada, and she has a wild story to share for us today. And we are really so excited for your story, Jenna, and appreciate you reaching out and being a part of our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You are <laughs> Yay, I'm very excited too. Hello, A. This is Julie A. from the VBAC Link <laughs> Podcast. A, I'm, I'm practicing my Canadian accent. A, no, I'm not going over real real. Okay, either way, <laughs> we're excited to hear Jenna's story. So now that you uh, will be listening to see if Jenna says A when she's telling her story, <laughs> I'm going to count. We need an A counter. Yeah, yeah we need an A counter. going to keep track. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, all right, Jenna, we will turn the time over to you and let you share your awesome journey. Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Jenna. I live in Sussex, New Brunswick, Canada. Um, We're connected to Maine for all of you Americans. And we live in a really little town. I'm here with my husband, Jake, and we have three little boys, Brock, Luke, and Clark. 
and I am really excited to share my stories with you guys. So to start off, we'll talk about my first, Brock. My husband and I got married, and then right away we decided we wanted to start our family. We had been together for five and a half years before we got married. So it took us about a year to get pregnant, and it was a really good pregnancy. I worked two jobs until I was six months, and then I worked my full-time job until I was 39 weeks. And I was so set and determined to go natural. I had watched The Business of Being Born and had gotten introduced to Dynamic Gaskin and all of like the crunchy granola things that lead us to believe that we can do this and we totally can. So I didn't want any intervention. I didn't want to be induced. I didn't want epidural. I didn't want any pain management. Um, So I went over my due date and at 42 weeks and five days, my doctor decided to induce me. I think more so because there was a storm the next day. So he wanted to make sure I wasn't going into labor (laughs) on my own during a storm. That tends to happen. Yeah. So I went in at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I got hooked up to a Pitocin drip. And they monitored me for a little while, and then they broke my water about 10. And labor, it started, but it wasn't horrible. It wasn't super painful or anything. I was sitting there with my sister and my husband, and we were laughing and talking and joking with my nurse. And they fed me lunch, which I didn't think they were going to do, but they didn't think I was far enough progressed in my labor. So they fed me lunch, and I went for a walk. And when I got back from my walk, I was in, like, full-blown labor. So I labored like that for a couple hours, and then I, at one point, I said to my husband, I had had a hard time walking back from the bathroom to the bed to be monitored, and I said, if it's going to be a lot longer, I'm going to need something for pain, (laughs) and they checked me, and I was at a nine and a half, and it was like a nurse literally told me, cross your legs until we get this cart ready. We don't want you to push the baby out before we're ready for him, (laughs) so I pushed him out and like four or five pushes, I can't, or four or five contractions, I can't remember, but it was pretty quick. I think awesome. I only pushed for like 20 minutes, and then he was here, and my little, my little Brock was here. He was seven pounds, two ounces, and he was perfect. He was a horrible nurser, though, <laughs> just as a side note. <laughs> we did not have a good relationship with nursing, so I ended up formula feeding him after about a month, but he was, he's such a good boy. So Brock was a little under two when we decided we were going to try for our second. And I figured it would take a while to get pregnant where we had taken a year to get pregnant with him. I figured maybe quicker, but maybe not. We'll see. Um, And we tried for about nine months with his pregnancy. I did get pregnant after about nine months. And with Luke's pregnancy, I was a little bit more sick. I ended up actually with diastasis recti and a hernia umbilical hernia from working and being pregnant and I had a lot of false labor and back labor with him leading up to his delivery Um, I was definitely planning on having another natural birth Um, hopefully with no induction I didn't want to have to have the Pitocin if I didn't have to so I went to my regular doctor's appointment at 39 weeks and five days Um, it was on a Friday and the doctor (laughs) gave me a sweep and she got about halfway through the sweep and she said, uh, I'm unsure of his position. I think I feel his ear. Like, I think he's like a little bit tilted in your, mm-hmm. in the canal. And I want you to go on Monday for fetal assessment and see, get a good ultrasound and see what baby's doing. I said, okay. 
but I had already had half a sleep. <laughs> so I actually went into labor the next day. Me and my husband and my son went out for breakfast, and I said, well, we should do something fun because this is probably our last day to have this opportunity. So we went to the pumpkin patch, our local pumpkin patch. This was, this was the first day of October. We went to the pumpkin patch. We walked around. We went on a tractor ride, like a hay ride, and we were waiting in line to pay for our pumpkin. And I had been having contractions on and off all day, but they weren't bad. I was I was so used to them because of all the false labor. But while we were waiting in line for, pay, to pay for our pumpkin, I was like, we need to get home now. <laughs> like, these are ramping up. I'm getting really uncomfortable. So this was about 1 o'clock. We got home, and we had no one to watch our son. <laughs> Nobody was around. Oh, my no. My sister was out of camp and wasn't able to get to us. My husband's mom was working, so she was actually the one who ended up rescuing us. At about 6 o'clock, she got done work, and she came to our house and picked up my son, and me and my husband took off for the hospital. At that point, I had been in labor for like five hours. My contractions were every four minutes, and I was, in a, I was starting to get really uncomfortable. So I was like, okay, we got to get to the hospital. The moment I got into the car... My contractions jumped from four minutes to two minutes. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Wow. I had fast delivery last time. It was, like, less than eight hours. I'm scared I'm going to have this baby in the car. But at the same time, in the same breath, like, between contractions, I was fine. I set my fancy football lineup. I had candy. Like, I was <laughs> my husband and I listened to music. That's we had a great awesome. time. Between the contractions, the contractions were horrible, but between them, I was great. I was happy. I was excited to go into labor on my own. I had never done that before. So we got to the hospital. I was in the one room, and our hospital is about an hour away, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. So we get to the hospital. We get into our room, and I am so excited because my water hasn't broken, and I'm in the only hospital room there that has a tub. And they have a rule that if your water's broken, you're not able to get into the tub. But if it hasn't, then you can't. So I was, like, literally jumping up and down excited about being (laughs) the prospect of being able to get into the tub and labor in the tub a little bit. So while this was all happening, I had a nurse come into my room. And she said, we're going to get somebody coming in and check you. Do you want anything for pain? And I said, no, thank you. And she said, oh, so you're not in labor then. And I said, excuse me. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I said, excuse me. And she said, well, if you were in real labor, you'd want something for pain. And I said, oh, you you misunderstood me. I don't want anything for pain. I want to do this naturally. She kind of rolled her eyes at me. And she said, oh, you you people or something to that effect. She said, I don't know how or why you people do it. And I said, and you don't have to. And she left the room when I told the next nurse that came in that I didn't want her back in my room. And she never came back. So I was grateful that they respected my wishes that way. So when they did check me, I was dilated to a five. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing good work. This is awesome. I'm still happy at five centimeters. This is great. But the nurse kind of looked concerned when she checked me. And she said, I don't think your baby's head down. And I said, well, he was head down yesterday when I had a sleep. He was turned a little bit, but he was head down. Anyways, they brought the doctor in with the ultrasound, and they determined that my baby was actually footling breech. Oh, my gosh. So here I am in labor. My baby's footling breech. I 
immediately burst into tears because around here, breech burst isn't a very common thing. It's usually an automatic C-section. So the doctor comes in and she explains to me, breech used to always be an automatic C-section depending on circumstances. Now we do entertain the idea of breech as long as it's safe. We have one specialist who works here at the hospital who is comfortable doing breech deliveries. I'm kind of apprenticing under him. I'm going to give him a call and see what he thinks, get him in here to take a look at you, see what he thinks, and then we'll go from there. Because she saw how completely devastated I was. And I had said to her, yeah. um, I'm actually, a, I'm a twin, and I was the second twin that was delivered, and I was born footling breech. So I said, babies can be born footling breech. I was born footling breech. And she was, she was like kind of intrigued by my willingness to try. So they called in the other specialist. He came in and he did an ultrasound and he said, um, I don't know. We're going to have to get her into the OR. We'll give her a spinal. Maybe we can turn the baby in the OR if we have enough time or we will talk about breech delivery in there. So we got in there and they gave me my spinal and that poor nurse that I screamed into her face because I was, I was in transition. <laughs> know that now but I was there by myself my husband was out getting scrubbed in I was sitting there sobbing telling this nurse I'm sorry I'm sorry I can't stop I can't like during the contractions I could just scream basically so they laid me down and they were going to check the presentation of the baby again just to make sure that they would be able to turn him and when they laid me down he was still in his amniotic sac but he was halfway out up to his hips So his feet, his legs, and his hips were already out, and he was presenting cord as well. So the specialist saw that and said, we need to do the C-section right now. Mind you, my spinal hadn't completely taken, so I felt initial cuts and pulling and stuff, which was very, very traumatizing, as you can probably understand. And I just laid there, and my I, adrenaline took over, and I laid there, and I gritted my teeth, and my husband looked at me, and he said, are you okay? And I said, no. And he said, you can feel that? And I said, yes, under gritted teeth. And I said, quiet down, basically, because the anesthesiologist was sitting right there, and I didn't want him to knock me out. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. laid there and kind of bared it. So they ended up doing a regular C-section. They pulled him back up through because he was so tall. They were able to do that. And he was my biggest baby by far. He was nine pounds, ten ounces, <laughs> and he was wow. He was twenty-two inches long too. That's so a tall a, baby. He was. He was a very tall baby. So I was like the crazy mom that was still in the OR. My spinal eventually did take. So like the rest of the procedure went fine. I was getting sewn up. It was on a weekend, and there's only one anesthesiologist for the hospital for those evenings. So I was using the only anesthesiologist in the hospital, so they were trying to get me out really quick. So they did staples on my outer incision instead of the dissolving Mm. stitches, which was okay. But while I was there, I said, I want to be able to have more kids, and I don't want to have to have C-sections for all of them, so make sure that you sew me up good so I can have a VBAC. And they said, oh, yeah, you're a great candidate for a VBAC. Like, you obviously can deliver a baby. Yeah, you can breach with a feet presentation. We we, we (laughs) thought that you could do that. They got nervous because of that cord. And I understand. Yeah, of course. 
but they said, yeah, for sure, you're a great candidate for a VBAC. And the doctor that delivered, the original doctor that I had seen that day, not the specialist, but her, she wasn't my regular OB. It's just kind of you get who you get, who's on call. And I actually picked her for my OB for my last pregnancy because I knew she was so supportive of VBAC and Breach. And yeah. we just spoke the same language and she, she was my jam for an OB. <laughs> so nursing went really good with him. My postpartum was really hard. I had a two-year-old at home and got headbutted in an incision and had a baby who wanted to nurse 24-7, but we got through it and I was, I was able to, to um, think about having another baby down the road. So with him, he, he nursed until he was about eight months and I got my cycle back and he was still nursing. And then all of a sudden, one day he would not nurse. And I was like, that's so weird. It was almost like he didn't like the taste of my milk. Well, turns out I was pregnant. (laughs) So we had kind of decided that we would start not preventing once I got my cycle back um, because we did want to have another baby. But I thought it was going to take us like at least six months, maybe a year again. But I got pregnant on the first try. (laughs) That first cycle, I got pregnant. Unfortunately, at about six weeks, I lost that pregnancy and then I got pregnant again on my next cycle, and then at six weeks, I lost another pregnancy. So in August and October, I lost babies, and I was really sad. It, like, broke my heart because yeah. when you've had two healthy pregnancies and then you wind up having miscarriages, it really hurts your heart. You, like, you know what those two lines mean when you get them, and it, it means you're going to have a baby, and when it doesn't happen, it was it was really hard on me. I had a really hard time with it. Yeah. So we just, um, my doctor told, I went to see my family doctor and she said, just don't, don't try. Like, I want you to actively like not try. I want you to prevent pregnancy for the next couple of months. Give your body a break and we'll see what happens after that. Well, so I lost in the, like I had my second miscarriage in November I got pregnant in December. <laughs> Just, it was like a miracle pregnancy. Anyways, I was really excited, but I was also really nervous because I had a lot of bleeding with this pregnancy. So I went and got checked a bunch of times, and they could see the baby, but they couldn't see a heartbeat because it was so early. So we just kind of had to wait. I was getting my blood drawn every couple of days to get levels tracked. I was really nervous. But I was so hopeful and excited, hoping that this was going to be a baby that stuck. And I was so sick and so tired. But I figured I have a two-year-old, or I have a, I guess he was three and a half. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old. I have a one-year-old. Like, I just, it's a lot. <laughs> and all while this was happening, we had actually found out that my mom was diagnosed with two different types of leukemia. Oh, my goodness. So right after I found out I was pregnant, I think I was like seven weeks maybe when we found out my mom was sick. And I was actually driving home from the hospital after having gone to get checked after I was having more bleeding. So it was kind of (laughs) crazy timing. And my nausea really didn't settle down, but the bleeding stopped and baby was doing good. And I just kept on working. I still had my hernia, my umbilical hernia. It came back this time. And my diastasis was still there. And then in June, my mom took a turn for the worst. 
and her treatment options just didn't work like they were going like we had hoped they would so I got she he was due in September Clark was due in September and this was in June and my mom had said when she started her treatments I'm going to meet my grandson so when it became apparent to us that she wasn't going to be able to actually meet him, I went and got a 3D ultrasound so she could meet him. So she got to know his name first and see his picture. And that was a really sweet moment for us. But it was at that 3D ultrasound that we figured out that he was breech. And I was so nervous. And oh all gosh. I could think of was, I'm going to lose my mom. And then I'm going to have to have a C-section when I really, really want to be back. So I'm like, okay, we got to get through this stuff with my mom and then we'll focus on the baby. So when I got the 3D ultrasound, they had given my mom a week or two weeks, I think. They gave her two weeks and she only lasted a week. So we had one last big celebration at my house with my mom and literally 100 people. And then three days later, she passed away in hospital. I'm so sorry Um, to hear that. Oh, my gosh. Thanks. So I was 28 weeks pregnant at that point, and I had the day of her funeral, I actually had a lot of spotting and, like, quite a few contractions, and I was starting to get really worried that I was, like, the stress of everything was putting me into preterm labor, and I said to my husband, I didn't tell anybody else because I didn't want to panic them, but I said to my husband, like, we might have to go to labor and delivery after this, we're at her wake, (laughs) And he said, no, we're going to go home. You're going to lay down and you're not going to do anything for the next day or so. And I said, okay. So I listened to him and I went home and the bleeding stopped and the cramping stopped. And I was like, oh, thank God. That's the last thing we need is a preterm baby right now. So between then and when I had the baby, um, we did everything that we could to inform ourselves on VBAC. I was trying to educate my husband so he knew what I wanted. And I was trying to educate myself as much as I could as well. I listened to podcasts. I read blogs. I just, I soaked up all the information I could take. And then our baby was officially diagnosed breach at 34 weeks through fetal assessment. And I tried everything I could to get him to flip. I did inversions. I (laughs) did handstands and pools. I did the whole, like, cold on the top of your belly, warm on the bottom. Like I did everything I could to get him to flip. And then they had us scheduled for external phallic version at 36 weeks with the potential for a breech delivery. If that didn't work, my doctor was very open with me. She said, if baby is looking like they're not big, like your last one, and they're still breech, and you want to try for a breach delivery, even if it's a VBAC, we will still give you that option as long as it's safe. So they were going to do a lot of ultrasounds and make sure that it was okay. But a few days before the version, I had really strong back labor and pains, and I thought I was going into labor. It was so painful. It was pretty brutal. It was almost to the point where it made me sick to my stomach. It hurt so bad. And then eventually it stopped. So we went in to have our version done. A couple days later, and when they the doctor came in to check, he put the ultrasound wand on my belly, and the baby had flipped on his own. <laughs> so I was really grateful that I didn't Yay! have to have do that to me. I was really nervous about it, but I was really happy that he's had dance. So after that point, I literally sat in a squat for, like, weeks, just making sure that he would stay head down, <laughs> and I wouldn't have any more issues. I didn't get in the tub barely at all. I didn't go swimming. I just 
wanted him to stay exactly where he was. <laughs> but I had a lot of false labor again, and I felt a lot of it in my back. Like, I almost wonder, if, looking back on it now, I almost wonder if he was sunny side up or turned a little bit funny. And then at my last doctor's appointment, I was 39 and four days. I was two centimeters and 50% faced. I had been having show for like three or four days. I was having lots of contractions all the time to the point where I would have to like get in into the shower and like use the hot water to get me through them. And then they would just stop. <laughs> we had been to the hospital twice. But then at 39 weeks and five days, I sent my two older kids to their babysitter. I went and picked up groceries. I made a ton of freezer meals, like enough freezer meals for like a month. <laughs> I cleaned my kitchen. I hadn't really eaten anything. I'd been drinking lots of water, though. And I laid down in my bed and <laughs> listened to a podcast. And I was eating a drumstick ice cream cone. That's what I picked as my super healthy snack after making all those meals. And I was like, oh, I have to use the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom. And I had a bunch of show, and I was like, oh, that's a good sign. Hopefully things will move along soon. And then I walked two steps out of my bathroom, and I felt a little gush. And I was like, oh, it's probably more mucus plug or more bloody show. I'll go back into the bathroom and clean it up. And when I went back to white, there was nothing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot, did my water just break? Because I've never had that happen. I don't know what this is like. So I put on, put on a pad. Went and sat on my bed for 20 minutes or so to see what happened. So I was having a few contractions anyways. And between the contractions, I would feel these little gushes. I'm like, oh, yeah, totally my water broke. So I picked up, I went and picked up my kids from the babysitter. I was having contractions every five or six minutes. I met my husband. His parents came and picked up our boys, and we drove to the hospital. So it took them legitimately two hours to figure out that my water had indeed broken they had an issue with their microscope and the slides weren't showing the firming. Um, so they did like the pH level tests and they came back positive, but they weren't getting the slides that they wanted. But I was really frustrated by that. Like at one point I had gone to use the bathroom, completely empty my bladder, was standing there washing my hands about to get a slide and I gushed a big puddle all over the floor. And I said, I'm pretty sure this is my water. Like, I've been potty trained since I was born, <laughs> and I know I'm not peeing my pants. <laughs> I'm not even wearing pants. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so um, they did finally determine that my water was broken, and they told us where I was a VBAC. I had previous fast labors, and I lived an hour away. They were going to keep us, and if my labor didn't pick up overnight, that they would induce it in the morning, which made me nervous because... My doctor had said, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to induce. I'm not going to membrane sweep. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to let your body do its thing. So when they started talking to induction, I was like, well, my doctor said she wasn't going to induce me. And they said, well, if your water's been broken so long, we want to get the baby out. I said, okay, that's fine. I also mentioned to them, um, listen, I haven't really eaten anything today, and I'm starving. Since my labor isn't really going, can we get a pass and go get some food, and then we'll come right back? <laughs> So they gave us a pass. We left the hospital. We went to a restaurant. We got takeout. <laughs> we brought it back. So me and my husband ate pizza and chicken parm in the hospital cafeteria. And then my sister came and met us. So I labored with my sister from about 9 in the evening until 1.30 in the morning. And all the while, my husband slept on the little cot in the delivery room. <laughs> we said, you sleep. You're going to need to help her when, I, when my sister leaves. So 
just relax and enjoy your sleep now because you're probably not going to get it for a while after that. And that while I was with my sister, my contractions started coming every minute for a minute and a half. So I was just getting absolutely pounded with these contractions, and they were really hard. And I felt a lot of them in my back and in my hip. And during that time, my husband slept on the little cot in the hospital delivery room. Um, we figured he would need his energy for once she had to leave. <laughs> so we let him sleep. Literally at 1.30 in the morning when she left, I kicked his foot and said, you're in. I'm in labor and I'm miserable. <laughs> I was in oh, good for you. <laughs> so much pain. I was having contractions every minute for a minute and a half and they were painful. Like I had had two natural, completely natural labors in my past. Like my first was completely natural, didn't have anything. My second was completely natural until I had the C-section and I had never experienced labor pains like these. My back yeah. hurt, my hips hurt. I was, they were sharp. That's the way I kept on describing them. They're so sharp. I can't, I don't understand why they're so sharp. So I did everything I could to try and get the baby down, to try and move the position. So I was on my hands and knees. I was leaned up against the bed. I was in the shower for hours at a time. But they determined at that point, they kept on monitoring me. And they were having a really hard time monitoring me. The taco or whatever wouldn't stay. I'm a plus-size mom. And it wasn't monitoring (laughs) Yeah, it didn't, it didn't register any of my contractions and it would read the heartbeat, but it would like, he was moving, I think a lot and it was, it was having a hard time tracking him. So during my contractions, they'd ask me when they're happening, they'd monitor him and his heart was actually decelling. And once they told me that I started to get really freaked out because I'm like, okay, if his heart is decelling, I'm a VRAC mom. They're going to worry about him. He's going to go into stress. I'm going to wind up with a C-section. Like my mind just kept on racing with all these situations that wound up with yeah. me in the OR. And I was like, I'm not having it. I'm not having this. So I, I really pushed to have a little bit more time so that I could try to get him to, to drop. And at about two thirty, that was all like within the span of an hour. That kind of seems crazy, but I really felt like my body was starting to push. Like, I remember that feeling. And I I got them to check me. I hadn't been checked at all since I'd gotten to the hospital where my water was broken. At my previous doctor's appointment, I was 2 centimeters and 50% of face. And when they checked me at 2.30, I was only 2.5 centimeters. And I was Oh, my gosh. You were working so hard. I was. And I was so embarrassed and frustrated. I'm a third time mom. They think I'm an idiot because I felt like I had to push a baby out and I'm barely even half centimeter more than I was two days ago. So I just laid in the bed and I covered my eyes and I cried for 45 minutes. And I wouldn't talk to my husband. I wouldn't talk to the nurse. The nurse actually left the room and never came back. (laughs) She sent another nurse in to deal with me, which was kind of a godsend because me and that nurse kind of butted heads a little bit. And the new nurse that she sent in was amazing. She was like my dream nurse. She was like an angel sent from heaven to deal with me during my hardest time. So I got over my little pout vest and his heart rate was still deselling during contractions. And they eventually put in the fetal heart monitor into his little head to better monitor him. So then I was bound to the bed. I couldn't get up. They started me on an IV to make sure that he was plenty hydrated and about 5.30, after trying all I could do to manage the pain laying down, I asked for an epidural, which I never thought I would do. 
but where I couldn't get up and move, it was just too painful. I, I had worked hard enough and I was exhausted. Yeah. So, and I, and in the back of my mind, I also thought if I can relax my body and just let my body do the work, maybe he will relax in there and stop deselling. Like maybe he's just under stress because my, I'm putting him through too much trying to get him out. So I thought maybe if I get some rest, he'll rest and then we'll both be able to do this. So they came in to do the epidural and it took a little while. I was dilated to a four at this point. They checked me right before I had it done. Um, they actually had to do the epidural twice <laughs> because it wouldn't take the first time. It only went on one side of my body and then they had to reposition it. But after they got it in the second time it took, I laid down. I asked them for a peanut ball so I could at least have my hips opened a little bit while I was laying down. But they didn't have one, so I kind of MacGyvered one out of some towels. <laughs> <laughs> so I laid there on my side with my hips open. And I really was really happy with my epidural because I could feel the contractions. It just took that sharpness off of them. I could move my legs. I could move my own body weight. I was really happy that I could still feel something because I was worried I was going to be completely numb and not know what I was doing. So it was it was about 7.30 by the time they got my epidural in. Like they had called for the doctor. It took a while. They got my epidural in. They got it repositioned. I was comfortable again. 7.30 I texted a sweet friend of mine to tell her that I was four centimeters. I got the epidural and I was going to rest. After about 10 minutes, though, I felt him drop. Like, I felt a significant drop. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling the urge to push. So I was like, okay, well, I'm probably still just a four, and they're going to think I'm crazy. But the resident checked me, and she said I was an N8. Yay! So I went from a four to an eight really quickly. And then she was still checking me while I was having another contraction. And she said, your cervix is really stretchy. I'm just going to move it out of the way. And she said, you're a 10. If you want to push, you push. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so she moved it out of the way, and she told me to get the baby out when I felt the next contraction. His heart was still deselling at this point, so they wanted the quicker he got out, the better kind of thing. So three contractions later, he was born um, at 8.02 in the morning. And he was tiny. He was 5 pounds, 13 ounces, and only 19 and 3 quarters inches, which is a tall baby, but it's short for my baby because I had a 21 and a 22 inch mm -hmm. <laughs> previously. And he was, he had the cord in his head from the heart monitor and his umbilical cord was wrapped around his arms, like almost pinning his arms down to his body. Oh, my gosh. That's why his heart kept on deselling because every time I had a contraction, he'd freak out and move, and it pushed on his cord. So it wasn't wrapped around his neck, but it was wrapped around his little body, which is crazy to me. So he came out, and I said, where was the rest of him? Like, I asked the nurses, where's the rest of him? <laughs> I had entirely expected to have a big baby like I did the last time, but he was little and perfect, and he had a little, like a, almost like a hematoma, like a little bump on his head. And we figured out that that's why my hip hurt so bad. His head, the way he was positioned, his head rubbed against my hips the entire time. That's oh, wow. Why, that's why it hurt <laughs> so sharp. <laughs> and he still has his little bump. We're not sure if it's ever going to go away, but it's a cute little reminder of all the hard work I did during my labor. Yeah. 
he did end up going to the NICU just where he was so little and he was having a hard time, a harder time breathing, but we figured out that it was because he had a lot of amniotic fluid still in his lungs. He ended up coughing it up that night, but where he came out so fast, he didn't really get that squeezed out of him. So once he got that out of him, he was fine. He has a tongue tie and a lip tie that we're still trying to get revised. So he, again, has not been a great nurser, but I've been <laughs> pumping and we've we've been doing really well with that. Um, and we actually have an appointment coming up soon to see if we can get him on the boob. But I was so grateful. Like he was my rainbow baby, calm after the storm of everything with my mom. Like he was my V-back. I was so so happy to have had a VBAC and not have to deal with another C-section recovery on top of everything else I was going through. I had two tiny little stitches with him as opposed to a second degree tear with my first. So I was, I was really happy with my recovery. I had a lot of trouble this time though with like postpartum. I wouldn't say depression. I had some really severe baby blues and I think on top of everything like grieving my mom and just the stresses of having two other kids in the house. It's been kind of stressful, but he's like my happy little ray of sunshine in the midst of all of it. So I'm so grateful to have my V back. Yeah, that is so awesome. I can just see your cute little mom up there in heaven just like nudging your baby saying, okay, yeah. it's time to turn now. Your mom needs you to yeah. be head down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I fully funny. believe she was working on getting him in a good spot for you. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's funny because he looks just like my oldest son, but mm-hmm. he has my mom's nose. Like Aww. I feel like they kind of just swap places. It's yeah. Crazy. Oh, that is sweet, and what a fun memory to have of your mom. You know, like uh, not not mm-hmm. necessarily not the loss, obviously, but like the like yeah. full circle. You know, you oh, can like yeah. see her her hand in his birth, and it's just such a beautiful story. Yeah, and actually, um, so when my mom first got diagnosed, people started giving us donations and cards and. So somebody had given me a card for my mom and asked that we buy something that she really needs in the hospital and not just put it towards, like, financial things, but something that she would use in the hospital. Um, Mm -hmm. And me and my sisters decided that we should get her a robe to wear while she was in the hospital. And when she passed away, they gave me her robe. Oh, sorry. (laughs) And it was what I wore while I labored. Oh, so I got to, I would find her favorite kind of hospital gowns. Like she had a specific type of hospital gown that she liked. Yeah. So I made sure to dig through all the cabinets in my room and find one of those. And I put on her robe. That is such a beautiful story. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I just, I am really inspired. Your, your journey is incredible. And thank you for allowing me to be in this space with you. Thank you, guys, because I wouldn't have been able to be back without listening to you guys. Yeah. I didn't know half of what I know now. Yeah, it will. To your podcast. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. I'm, I'm glad that we that we helped you. That makes that makes my heart very happy to know that. We are going to talk about breach babies. Earlier this year, 2018, ACOG released a new guideline 
for providers regarding breech babies. You can find more information about that on our blog at thevbacklink.com slash blog. But guys, let me tell you what. The guidelines state that breech babies getting automatically scheduled for cesarean delivery is not a good idea. It states that providers, when capable and when they know how to, should offer an external cephalic version, which is also known as a version or an external version, which is where they turn your baby manually outside on your stomach. It can be pretty rough, but if successful, baby is head down and ready for a vaginal delivery. ACOG also acknowledges that knowing how to do that and how to deliver breech babies vaginally is, is getting lost. Providers aren't learning how to do it. And, and sadly, over the last 40 or 50 years, we've seen that get lost and they don't even teach it in obstetric school anymore. So typically, if your baby is breech, you automatically get sent in for a cesarean or you go in for an external version. And if it fails, they send you for a C-section that day, and if it works, they induce you that day. So there's not really a whole lot of wiggle room with breech babies. In this guideline, ACOG says that women should be offered options and that your preference should be considered. So if your baby is breech, find a provider that's going to support you in that and one that's comfortable delivering breech babies or one that will offer you a version and will be willing to to work with you based on your preferences and your needs. They're out there. You might have to dig a little deeper, but we hope over the next five to 10 years, this attitude and guideline will catch on and it is going to be a lot easier to find a provider that will support your desires of a breech birth or of turning your baby beforehand and letting labor start naturally. Again, head over to our blog, thevbacklink.com slash blog for more info. Interested in sharing your story? Submit the form on our website, thevbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including our VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and our bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. We are excited for you to start your journey of learning and discovery with us.